fashion, going out into the world, solitary, unanswered, breaking against rocks, so it sounded. Steele frowned, but was pleased by the effect of the black. It was just that note which brought the rest together. Ah, one may learn to paint at fifty. There's Titian. And so, having found the right tint, up he looked and saw to his horror a cloud over the bay. Mrs. Flanders rose, slapped her coat this side and that to get the sand off, and picked up her black parasol. The rock was one of those tremendously solid brown, or rather black rocks, which emerged from the sand like something primitive, rough with crinkled limpid shells and sparsely strewn with locks of dry seaweed. A small boy has to stretch his legs far apart, and indeed to feel rather heroic before he gets to the top. But there, on the very top, is a hollow full of water with a sandy bottom, with a blob of jelly stuck to the side and some mussels. A fish darts across. The fringe of yellow-brown seaweed flutters, and out pushes an opal-shelled crab. Oh, a huge crab, Jacob murmured, and begins his journey on weakly legs on the sandy bottom. Now. Jacob plunged his hand. The crab was cool and very light, but the water was thick with sand, and so scrambling down, Jacob was about to jump, holding his bucket in front of him, when he saw, stretched entirely rigid side by side, their faces very red, an enormous man and woman. An enormous man and woman, it was early closing day, were stretched motionless, with their heads on pocket handkerchiefs side by side, within a few feet of the sea, while two or three gulls gracefully skirted the incoming waves and settled near their boots. The large red faces lying on the bandana handkerchiefs stared up at Jacob. Jacob stared down at them. Holding his bucket very carefully, Jacob then jumped deliberately and trotted away very nonchalantly at first, but faster and faster as the waves came creaming up to him and he had to swerve to avoid them, and the gulls rose in front of him and floated out and settled again a little farther on. A large black woman was sitting on the sand. He ran towards her. Nanny! Nanny! he cried, sobbing the words out on the crest of each gasping breath. The waves came round her. She was a rock. She was covered with a seaweed which pops when it is pressed. He was lost. There he stood. His face composed itself. He was about to roar when, lying among the black sticks and straw under the cliff, he saw a whole skull, perhaps a cow skull, a skull, perhaps, with a teeth in it. Sobbing but absent-mindedly, he ran farther and farther away, until he held the skull in his arms. "'There he is,' cried Mrs. Flanders coming round the rock and covering the whole space of the beach in a few seconds. What's he got hold of? Put it down, Jacob. Drop it this moment. Something hurried, I know. Why didn't you stay with this naughty little boy? Now put it down. Now come along, both of you. And she swept round, holding Archer by one hand and fumbling for Jacob's arm with the other. But he ducked down and picked up the sheep's straw, which was loose, swinging her bag, clutching her parasol, holding Archer's hand, and telling the story of the gunpowder explosion in which poor Mr. Kernow had lost his eye, Mrs. Flanders hurried up the steep lane, aware all the time in the depths of her mind of some buried discomfort. There on the sand not far from the lovers lay the old sheep skull without its jaw, clean, white, windswept, sand-rubbed. A more unpolluted piece of bone existed nowhere on the coast of Cornwall. The sea holly would grow through the eye sockets. It would turn to powder or some golfer hitting his ball one fine day, would disperse a little dust. No, but not in lodgings, thought Mrs. Landis. It's a great experiment coming so far with young children. There's no man to help with a perambulator. 
And Jacob is such a handful, so obstinate already. Throw it away, dear, do, she said, as they got into the road. But Jacob squirmed away from her, and the wind rising, she took out her bonnet pin, looked at the sea, and stuck it in afresh. The wind was rising. The waves showed that uneasiness, like something alive, restive, expecting the whip of waves before a storm. The fishing boats were leaning to the water's brim. A pale yellow light shot across the purple sea and shut. The lighthouse was lit. Come along, said Betty Flanders. The sun blazed in their faces and gilded the great blackberries trembling out from the hedge, which Archer tried to strip as they passed. Don't lag, boys. You've got nothing to change into, said Betty, pulling them along and looking with uneasy emotion at the earth displayed so luridly, with sudden sparks of light from greenhouses and gardens, with a sort of yellow and black mutability against this blazing sunset, this astonishing agitation.